Well, this morning we are truly blessed and honored to have my favorite Australian back in the house, Kim Hammond. Kim is going to be uh, speaking. He spoke in our last service. He'll be speaking in this service. And uh, I mean, listen, nothing says Happy Mother's Day like us bringing an Australian to just bless all the mothers in here. But Kim did a phenomenal job. He's speaking this morning in our ambush series on getting your family on mission and uh, your family, not only you, but your family going deeper. And um, as you know, we've been praying for Kim uh, ever since we've known Kim, actually. When Kim moved here for uh, five years ago from Australia, uh, almost immediately his, his middle son, Carter, was diagnosed with cancer and uh, went through three and a half years of chemo, uh, chemotherapy treatment, um, hundreds of, of chemotherapy treatments. And, and so... Um, he went into remission and was healed last March, and we celebrated that. And then on January the 4th, Kim was diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, for those of you who have been part of Westridge for the last several months, you know that. You know we've been praying for Kim on a daily basis that God would completely heal him. And we believe that in the name of Jesus, that, that he's going to be completely healed. Um, but uh, this uh, Kevin Dunlap and I actually had a chance to go up and visit him, and, and so we've been just following his progress and talking with him and texting back and forth, and it's just absolutely amazing uh, that God has, has just been giving him the strength. He spoke a few weeks ago for the very first time at his church in Chicago, uh, Community Christian Church, and uh, this is the first time he's actually traveled since January 4th. And um, we're so honored that his first traveling experience is here at Westridge. And uh, he's speaking three times this, this morning. As you know, we do three services. So, so I want to just encourage every one of you in the house to be praying for him. Uh, it takes a lot out of you to preach, and uh, especially when you have what, what he's been going through. And um, he's, a, he's a smaller version of the man that I, I met in January. And God's doing some amazing things in his life. I, I love this man. I, I genuinely love him with all my heart. He's my brother. Uh, he is my favorite Australian, but he's also one of my favorite people in the world. And I genuinely love him. He's part of our team here at Westridge. Many of you know we brought him on our team about two to two years ago to help us to, uh, as we say, get on mission, to help not only our small groups to, to get on mission together, but to help all of us to discover our kingdom purpose and to get on mission together. And he's done such a great job working with our staff for us to understand what that means and then as it rolls into our church of what that looks like. And so we're so honored and we're blessed to have him back with us this morning. And uh, I want all of you to give my friend and your friend, Kim Hammond, a huge Westridge welcome home. Oh, thank you for that. Just feel so very loved. I, um, gosh, I just don't really have the words just to say thank you for your prayers. And Westridge have been so generous and so kind. And I, um, I just, I love Brian and Amy. I, I wrote Brian a letter in hospital. I was so sick. And uh, I just wanted him to know what an absolutely man of integrity and just an incredible leader we have here at Westridge. Would you join me in honoring him as the lead pastor? 
I just, I, um, yeah. It's so good to be back with my family. This really is my second home and, um, I just want to wish all the mums a happy Mother's Day for all the grandmas, for all the single mums who do an incredible job, for all the adoptive mums who mentor so many kids, for all the women who desire and wish to be a mum with all the pain they go through. We honour all of you this morning. It's great. What a great video, hey? So funny. It's hilarious. I really do feel like I have a word for our church. Um, I want to talk to you about going deeper in the water. Do you swim in Atlanta? Is there, is there a beach near here? There's no beach in the Midwest. Do you understand this? Chicagoans don't know how to swim. They're terrified of the water. And then they say, oh, we have a beach. It's called a lake. That ain't a beach. You understand? A lake is not a beach. But you can't tell Chicago people. They love their lake. And... Uh, and I have this story I tell about water that I tell to the staff, and it's one of their favorite stories. So I want to share it with you today. Um, I have lost 70 pounds. I've lost a Backstreet Boy. Um, and uh, it's one of the side effects of the leukemia I have, it's a very rare form of leukemia called APL, is weight gain. So the doctors are like, how are you going to keep losing weight? And I'm like, my wife doesn't feed me. And, uh, and I've been trying to swim and, and get healthy. And, uh, but when you're a big man... You don't like water parks. Who here is like me doesn't want to take their shirt off in case people scream and yell and run away? And so one of my best friends in Australia, his name's Chris Rogers, he, uh, for his birthday, his wife flew him and I to this water park in Australia. And I was like, great, water parks. Fat men do not like water parks. You've got to understand for us, for us, it's about risk versus reward. The risk of four flights of stairs and having a heart attack versus the reward of 30 seconds of wee, you understand? You gotta weigh this up because it's a long way. There's no elevators, there's no lifts. That would kill for fat people, it'd be awesome. But they make you walk up these stairs, right? And so he, we, we're going all day, I'm trying to be a good friend, going on all these, but it's exhausting. And so finally, he's like, he wants to go on this ride where you go on it together. It's like a, it's like a figure eight donut. What would you call it? It's like a inflatable device, a tube. I think that's what you, do you call them tubes? Tube. Tubes, yeah. Well, that's what we, we call them tubes in our country too. So it's like a figure eight tube. And uh, so him and I carrying this thing up very slowly. Kids are rushing past, mocking you. These are the same kids you want to push off the top of the slide when their parents aren't watching. And we get to the top, and I know how this is going to be, because I know I probably exceed the maximum weight level for this device. So I sit on the device. You ever seen a fat man sit on one of those tubes? The thing tips up like this. And I can feel the water rushing over me, and I watch my skinny little friend. He's as skinny as Paul. He's like a spider trying to work out how to climb on this thing. It's like he could stand in the middle and I could barely get my butt on the thing, you know. The thing's tipping up. And I can hear the six, you know those snotty 16-year-old girls who work at the pool? 
She's like, fat man on the water slide, increase the water pressure, please. I'm just like, oh, Lord, this is so humiliating. No, no, he's still not moving. Increase it more. Can I get some, can I get some help up here? And like four like, teenagers come up, and they like leverage me off. It's so embarrassing, right? But now it's a party. Because you put a fat man on one of those slides, I'm telling you, we started going at the speed of sound. Sparks are coming off the tube. I could hear my friend, his terrified voice, screaming like a little girl every few seconds in the delay because we are going faster than the speed of sound. And as we're coming down, we're not really coming down, we're hypergliding down, down the bottom of the slide. You know how like slides, there's the slide part, there's a waiting pool and they have a little bit extra in case someone like me gets on there. And you see people, you watch them as you're climbing the stairs. They come down, yay, and they get out, and and it's all very nice. Well, we come down at about 100 miles an hour. We ain't stopping. There's no eject button on this baby, you understand? So all I can see is terrified faces and people with their phones out. It's all I can see. And I'm thinking now, I'm about to kill my best friend. Because we are not slowing down. We hypoplane past the waiting pool and we start to go up the bit that I'm sure the engineers thought no one will ever get up here. (laughs) Now we are like approaching the end of the slide and I'm thinking we're going to end up in the second, the third, maybe the fourth row of the car park, you know, the parking lot. And so I tell my friend, put your legs out as if that's going to help. And he puts his little spider legs out. And kind of st- we literally go all the way to the top, touch the end of the slide, and now we're like up here, and we come all the way back, and people are now cheering and chanting. Okay? I'm like this rock god, you understand? And we get out of the pool, and the lifesaver stops me. Do you call them lifesavers? The, the lifeguard? He says, excuse me, sir, where are your shorts? You gotta understand with the velocity that I was coming down that baby, I had an atomic wedge. I, I, it was just one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. There is a point to this story, it ties into the message. I wanna talk to you about Luke chapter 5 and going deeper in the water. Can you see the connection? So you won't forget this sermon, okay? Just think of me with a wedgie. Luke 5, me. I love the signing people. How do they say wedgie? That's awesome. Translating Australian is hard enough. Um, In Luke chapter 5, we have Jesus is teaching at the edge of the water. He's teaching, and it's really the story of the first disciples. And as he begins to teach to the people of Israel, he teaches like no one has ever taught before about love and caring and sharing with everything and everyone and with such authority that crowds and crowds of people came to hear this new rabbi. And as he begins to get pushed back by the crowd, the Bible says, let me read it to you in verse 3, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. He chose Simon's boat now look at me every person in this room right up the back down the front on the side whether it's your first time or whether this is your millionth time here at Westridge 
God has chosen to sit in your boat. It's no accident that you are here. There's no coincidence. I'm telling you, the living God has chosen you and wants to have a relationship with you. And it was no accident that day. This was a person who he was purposely choosing to invest in. Don't take for granted that it's somebody else, that you're not good enough. I'm telling you, he's chosen your boat. And verse 4, it says, When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. I want to talk to you as families today. Whether you're a single parent home, whether you're in a, a, um, a nuclear family, whether you're here by yourself, but this is your family. You know, God calls us to be in community. And there's an opportunity on Mother's Day to think about how does he call us on mission together? And I really do think this is a word for our church, to go deeper. To go deeper takes risk. I think many of us like the shallow end of the pool. We like to tread water. We like to go where we feel confident and comfortable. There's something about going into the water where it's deeper beyond our comfort zone. We like to play it safe as a family. We think about our kids. We think about when we get our finances in order, then we'll get on mission. We like to think about all the things we need to get right, our dreams, our hopes, our purposes. But I believe this word in Scripture said to the disciples, retold and kept for us, is, is as supernatural as it was in that day, as it is today, that is a word for our church to go deeper. Sometimes we don't go deeper because of a storm or bad experiences. We've been knocked about by the waves of the world and it's better to play it safe. But I'm telling you, the God of heaven never leaves us. And he's calling us to go deeper as families, as individuals, and as a church. And in verse 5 it says, Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Have you ever gone through a season of dryness? A season where things didn't work out the way you planned. A season where you feel like you're being faithful, you're laboring in your job, in your home, in your family, and just things are not good. Maybe your house is upside down. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you've had a breakup in your family or in a relationship. You know, the thing you learn about sickness is that it does not discriminate. And you may have a time, a season of peace, but you know the storm is coming. And the question is, what does it mean for us to obey? See, if you want to go deeper, you can't wait till it suits you. You have to obey. You have to ask the question, is God calling you into deeper waters? And if you obey, it means following his lead and taking that adventure. We did this five years ago. I sold my wife on coming here for one year to come and help and serve. It was the church in America. It was my dream to come here. I love America. I love Americans. And we came here and then four weeks later, my son got cancer. But we were called here. And when you're called, you stay. When you go 
and follow God into the deep. It doesn't matter what waves wash over you, you obey. And I would never change a single thing in the five years that we've been here. I have had the honor and the privilege of working with churches all around the world. And when I think about mums on mission, when I think about families, when I think about this obedience, what does it look like to go deeper and obey? I can't help but think of our friends, the tailors. The tailors were church planners like us in our 20s. I was a youth pastor, then a small group pastor, the church I was raised in. And then we went out with some friends and we planted a brand new church when we were 25. Friends in my wife's home state of Adelaide did the same thing. And we were at a missions conference one day and my, my, one of my best friend's wife just came forward at the altar call. She came forward just weeping for the people of Cambodia. She was a mum raising three boys. She had gone to high school and then had, had kids, had never done any more study. And really was not ambitious at all to do anything other than raise her kids and be a good, faithful wife to her husband who was leading the church plant. But God got a hold of her. He caused her to think about being the hands and feet of Jesus as a family. And their entire family went to Cambodia. And I'm telling you, they started this mission called 2H Project. Do you know a woman, a mother, dies every minute giving birth? And the child. Every minute. In the world today, 99% of them in the third world. And they die from a preventable cause. They die because the person giving birth, the birth attendant is untrained. And 99% of the time they cut the umbilical cord with a rusty knife. Causes an infection to the mum, an infection to the child, and the child dies. She saw this tragedy in Cambodia, the mortality rate, unbelievable. thousand times more than here in America. She went back, went to university, became a midwife. Do you call them midwives here? She went back, got a degree, and her entire family go over three, four times a year. She has raised more trained birthing attendants in the country of Cambodia than any of the major World Vision uh, Compassion Organizations. The king of Cambodia gave her an award, and she invented a simple device. It cost $2. It's a pair of gloves, a soap. You could steal from the hotel you're staying at next, all those little soaps. A string to tie the umbilical cord and a clean razor. And that halves the mortality rate. Halves it. Because one family said, we're going to go deeper. We're going to go to Cambodia and we're going to make a difference in the world. It didn't make sense. They didn't have the money, but they did it because they were willing to obey. There is something in obedience that is beyond the wildest dreams or plans that you may have. I'm telling you, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. My wife and my son got to go on a trip with them. It changed our family's perspective, and we've supported that mission ever since. Verse 6, it says, And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. 
When are we going to realize that we can paddle around the sea all we like? We can be the smartest people in the world. But until we drop our nets in the exact place that God calls us, it is Him who blesses us. It is Him who leads us. It is Him who cares more about this world than anybody else. And rather than trying to get God to bless our life, why don't we join God at work? It's already blessed. I'm convinced that He does not care in some way about our intricate plans. I mean, he loves us and he cares about us and he knows us intimately. But his ways and his plans are so much bigger and so much better than we could ever construct. You know, I turned 40 this year and I've been here for four years. I've lived through, I'll show you a photo of my family. I've lived through a sick son. I can't even describe for you what it's like to watch your little boy go through chemotherapy. For three and a half years. In fact, the last time we were here as he was finishing, I preached here. His liver shut down that week. His hair fell out twice. He had hundreds of spinal taps. And it was the most agonizing and absolutely devastating season. And on the other hand, it's been the most inspirational, God-trusting time of our life. And I, I, I thank my wife and her faithfulness to be an incredible mother, slept by his side, went to every hospital. And then on January 4th, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I came into the hospital with a hemoglobin level of three and a half. The average person walks around with 15. It was the lowest on record oxygen to blood ratio in the history of the University of Chicago's hospital. The doctor said I should be dead. How was I walking around? And I said to them, well, I really wasn't walking much because my in-laws were in town. And so I was hiding in the bed all the time, sleeping a lot, hoping they'd leave. But they didn't. And uh, I got, you know, there was just photos then of um, Brian and Kevin flew up to town. I had plans this year. I wrote a book. When you write a book, you have to travel and sell the book. I'm a missionary. I raised my entire support. How was I going to promote my book? How was I going to raise my funds as a missionary? This is what I do for a job. How was I going to live? When the doctors told me I had cancer, I asked them, is it curable? And the doctor said, I can't tell you that. And I looked at my wife and I thought, I'm going to leave my wife a widow. After all that she's been through, I don't know if I'm going to beat this. And then they came back and said, you have a very rare form of leukemia. And we wept. And I laid in hospital and I remember journaling and I remember thinking, it doesn't matter about the book. It doesn't matter about preaching. It doesn't matter about what my plans are. It only matters that in the storm that I will cling to the King and that I will love Jesus and that I will trust Him with all my might. And that in the midst of all my plans, I had to give it all to God. You know my book? went to 140 on the Amazon bestsellers list. And this is my first speaking gig outside of Chicago. People, famous speaker writers are ringing me up saying, how did you do this? I said, get a disease. <laughs> Fake one. But it's the kindness of God and His church. I'm telling you, I've done nothing. I haven't spoken anywhere. Yet God's goodness. I've been able to share the name of Jesus in some of the most saddest places. Have you ever been to a cancer ward? It is filled with sad and desperate people. 
I watch it every day. I have to go to chemotherapy every single day. I finished my last treatment on Friday after a month of every day going into the cancer ward. And I'm telling you, I have a month off and then I've got two more cycles and then I'm done. When I, went in, when I go in every day, I'm telling you, I see older ladies with breast cancer. I see older men with prostate cancer. I see beautiful people being married for a long time pushing their partners in on a wheelchair. And I'm telling you, the nurses who work in oncology, they're the most amazing, caring people. And I get to talk about what I do for a job and how I love people. And I'm telling you, they all are fascinated because every day I smile. Every day I'm filled with joy. Every day I refuse to let the cancer define who I am. And they are absolutely fascinated. Who is this man? And it's Jesus. It's not me. It's the King. I never thought we would live through a cancer with my son. I never thought that I would get cancer. But this is what I realized. I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm the worst administrator. Poor Kevin Dunlop has to deal with me. I'm sure I give him a nervous breakdown. But I love Jesus. And I love people. And if your family is on mission, you can't wait till you get everything sorted out. You can't wait till your house is turned back up the right way. You can't wait to get the better job or have more time. You have to ask the question, am I going to go deep and obey? What does it look like for us as a family to obey like Kate did and to literally participate in what God has designed for your family to do? Man, my wife is the most amazing missionary. I mean, she homeschools our three boys because we do the Australian school system. And when my son got sick, he got sick four weeks after we got here, she has done nothing but care for him. She's been to every hospital appointment. When I got sick, she slept on the couch every night in the hospital room. She's amazing. You would think if anyone had an excuse to be selfish, it would be my wife. But she reaches out to the kids in our neighborhood. There's got a photo of, a, of this girl called Lily. Lily is a Cambodian girl. Her family are all refugees in Chicago. She lives with her grandparents in their house with her mum, who's a single mum. Her mum has gone back to school to become a nurse, and her mum works all day and goes to school at night. Lily never sees her mum. Her parents don't speak any English. And she is a lonely, absolutely desperate for attention little girl. My wife is taking this little girl into our house. My boys, my three big man-child boys, they absolutely love this girl like she is her sister. They love on her. They play with her. My wife tutors her every day in school. They cook for her. It is like we've adopted this little girl. Her mum came to our house just a couple nights ago. It was my wife's 40th last weekend. Brought a present. And with tears in her eyes, she said to my wife, you have loved my daughter like she is your own. Your sons love Lily like they're her brothers. She comes here and she knows it's a safe place where she works all hours of the night. She said, it is like you are good news to my daughter. She's weeping. She's like, how could I ever repay you? My wife doesn't do it for any attention. She's never going to speak on a stage. She's never going to write a book. But she's the kind of mother filled in this room with people who are the hands and feet of Jesus to a world out there that are dying for people to be authentic followers of Jesus. You know, I, I have been a pastor for 20 years. When I meet people who go through crisis, they fold. I meet people when they go through crisis, they bend. They run away from conflict. 
They have conflicts in their marriage or conflicts in their church. And these are tough things, going through a sickness. or don't ever, don't, don't ever think whatever it is that you're going through is less. People come to us and say, oh, you have cancer. It's your story. But I see people run. They run away from God. But look, let's look at Peter and how he responds in verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Here's my experience. When crisis comes, you either run to the cross or you run away. And it's a defining moment of going deep. Don't wait for the storm to come. Practice as a family the presence of Jesus by being a blessing to the world now. Make it your mission to discover what does it mean as a family to pray for my neighborhood, to be on mission. What can we do together in community? Because when the tough times come, when the storms come upon you, you will have the roots that grow deep to let the waves wash over you. And you will realize that it is God who gives you the blessings, that it is God who loves you. It is God who has allowed that to happen, to strengthen you so that you may name Jesus and be his hands and feet in the kind of places and spaces that nobody else could. You live in that house, you're in that job as much as you may hate it. You have that weird neighbor who mows the lawn halfway and never goes on to your side. These are reasons that you're there to proclaim Jesus in word and in deed. And when you get on mission, I'm telling you, it can change your life forever. I love what Jesus says to Peter in response to his fear. He says, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Look at me, every person in this room. What is holding you back from going deeper as a family on mission and obeying the king? Is it fear? Is it waiting till your life is in perfect circumstances? Because it ain't going to happen. And there are going to be curveballs thrown at you like they have in mind. And you have to make the decision. Are we staying? Are we sticking? And are we going to lift the name of Jesus to honor him? You know, People often ask, you know, is it rewarding? You know, is it about getting the things that you desire and dream? And I think God cares about us, but it's so interesting for me. If you read at verse 11, and soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. It was never about the fish. It was never about the fish. It was never about them getting more money or more resources. We need all those things to extend the mission. But it was about their hearts. It was about willing to say, I am willing to lay it all down. My job, my title, my body, my position, my education. I'm willing to give it all for the cause of Christ and for the extension of the kingdom. You know, I have a friend, her name's uh, Glenda. Glenda and her family are from my wife's hometown in Australia called Adelaide. Glenda and her family are amazing. They live in this uh, little neighborhood where their neighbor is a terrible drunk, was a, was a terrible drunk. This kind of guy, you know one of those neighbors who nobody likes on the street? I mean, he literally, would, if it was a survivor, he would have been voted off the island. You understand? 
And this guy would pass out in their driveway every night and vomit. And they would come and they would pick him up and they would clean him up, wash their driveway down, and they would put him back to bed. The whole street hated him. And for 10 years, Glenda and her family loved on this man. For 10 years, he was this lonely, his house was in disarray, but they loved on him every day and every night. An inconvenience to them. He would come and eat their food. He would pass out in their driveway. He would do all sorts of things that angry drunks did. And then finally he died and the street threw a party. But Glenda was sad because she had had the honor on his deathbed of praying the sinner's prayer, of leading him to Jesus and seeing him with his last breath give his life to the king. The whole family huddled around this old man that nobody ever got to see as he uttered, was ushered into the kingdom. And about six months went past and they received a check. He had left his entire estate to their family. He was actually a secret millionaire and he left them a million dollars. Now what's the message you should be kind to homeless people in case they could be secret millionaires <laughs> no you awful people that is not the message the message is it's not about the money it's about his soul it's the fact that this family loved him unconditionally not knowing not planning not scheming not ever knowing that god was going to use that money to actually launch the organization that I work for. She gave us our first check for $50,000. That money allowed, that money allowed 10 years ago for me to become the state director, allowed my boss to move to America, and then here I am. I stand here today because of Glenda's initial generosity, because she was obedient to God, because she went out deep despite her own inconveniences. As a family, she was the hands and feet of Jesus. I want to pray for you today that God will give you names, that God will give you neighborhoods, that God will give you cities, that God will give you countries, that you will say as a family, we will pray and obey and go deep on mission. That you will not just say, God, bless me, bless me, make my job successful, but rather you'll open your eyes and awaken every day to look at where God is already at work. He never sleeps. He's more committed to your street and your workplace and your family than any of you are. And if we actually join God on mission, it's already blessed that we would have the courage in word and deed to name Jesus and give thanks for him when the waves wash over us, that we'll stick in our families, in our church family, and honor him. Why don't you bow your heads as I pray. Father, I thank you so much for my family here. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their, their prayers that have held me fast, their love, the incredible generosity of Westridge to me personally. I can never thank them enough. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, wherever their families are out, that they will go deeper.
while their feet lift off the shore as they are a little bit frightened, a little bit scared, that you will show them that their nets will be full and it won't be about the fish. It'll be about obedience, that they will give their lives as families to you in ways that will change the world in the name of Jesus. In a world out there that is cynical and thinks that the church is full of hypocrites, that we will be light and salt, that we will be good news and that we will lift our heads up in obedience and say that we are called that we are sent and that we are set free. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Thank you for having me.